If you have your Bible this morning, please take your Bible and turn to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. We're talking about the grace story, looking at grace from the Old Testament to the New. And we're talking especially about being rescued by grace. Now, I have a problem. Every time I think of Joshua, I told this to a Sunday school class this morning. Every time I think of Joshua, I have a flashback to when I was a child and I was in Sunday school. And Mrs. Turner in Kansas City, Missouri, would teach us the song. You know the song. Some people sing it, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. Some people say Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. It actually was written fit the battle. But we'll sing fought. Sing it with me. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, Jericho. Jericho, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. Now, usually I have vanilla cookies or Oreos and a big glass of milk at this point. In fact, I'm getting kind of hungry now that I think about it. I, I thought about getting Oreos for everybody, but I knew that, that Vaughn Cartwright would get Oreo cookie crumbs everywhere, so I decided we wouldn't do that. We know the story of Joshua. Joshua is the story of coming to Jericho, especially the story of Jericho. When we face insurmountable obstacles, our God who loves us, our God who is all-powerful, the, the, our God that we talked about today, he is the one who will fight for us. That's the story. That's the takeaway. But here's what's interesting. This is what's happened today. I was reading an article that was written by a Muslim, and the article said this this week. This is what it said. The article said that the Christians have nothing to condemn the Muslims for because we started the jihad. And he quoted Joshua 6.21 where it says, They destroyed with a sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old. In the article, he said this was a sickening, bloody massacre of the likes of Rwanda, Sudan, and Iraq. And that's what he accused the Christians. He called the Old Testament God primitive, unloving. Is that true? Is our Old Testament God, the God of Joshua, is he inferior to the New Testament God of compassion and love? Absolutely not. Listen, our God has never changed. Jehovah God, Yahweh God, Elohim God has never changed from the Old Testament to the New. Here's the one thing you can know about God. God hates sin. God hates sin, and God loves people. God loves people. And the story of Joshua, I think, proves that we're different. The story of Joshua proves the grace of God. Because exempt from the massacre, exempt from this horrible blood fest, was a, is a story about a single woman and her family. Her name is Rahab. And her family was exempt from this. Look at Joshua 2.11. Look at what it says. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. This is Rahab speaking, and she says, when we heard of it, heard what happened and what was going on there, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, your God, is God. Don't miss that. He says, the Lord, your God, he's the real thing. He is God in heaven above and on the earth below. This woman didn't know, didn't have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. She didn't have a Bible. All she knew is what she'd heard about Israel. All she knew about what would, had happened already. And she said, you have the real thing. Here's where we're going. God punishes sin. But he also offers grace to rescue sinners. Did you get that? God punishes sin, but he also offers grace to rescue 
the sinners. It's the best news you could possibly have. If you have your Bible, as I said, look at Joshua chapter 2. We're going to read the whole chapter, or or the first 20 verses, I should say. We're going to read the first 20 verses. And you'll see the picture because extreme conditions require extreme measures. There were extreme conditions that Joshua was facing, and it required extreme measures. And you're going to see two extreme measures from this. Look at Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly hid two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The the least likely place for two godly men to stay is in the house of a prostitute, just so you'll know that, okay? Look at verse 2. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me. But I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had hidden them up on, up, but she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Look at verse 8. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. I want to stop there for a minute. Sion and Og were two kings who came out against Israel, and they said, not only can you not go through here, but we're going to, we're going to decimate you. We're going to take you captive. And instead, Moses and all of these people from, from Egypt who were not allowed to take any weapons with them, they had no training in warfare, they had no idea what they were doing, they defeated these two kings. Look at verse 11. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Look at verse 14. Our lives, for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now she had said to them, go to the, hill, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. The men said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers, and all your family into your house. If anyone goes outside your house into the street, 
His blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. As for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell us, but if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Let's stop there for just a minute. Extreme conditions require extreme measures. Two things that I see extreme here. Number one, God displays extreme grace. God displays extreme grace. Jericho lies 750 feet below sea level. It's one of the oldest cities. In fact, there are the oldest excavations of any city in the world uh, that have taken place in Jericho. It is an extremely tough place to live. It was, uh, it was on a very well-known trade route. Because of that, they had developed huge city walls. The city walls were 15 feet thick at the base, and then there was a 30-foot space in between and another 15-foot wall inside that. So he had 15 feet of wall, a 30-foot 30, uh, 30 space in between it, and then another 15-foot wall. Because they got so secure, eventually some of the people put beams between the two walls, the 30-feet span in between, and they built houses up inside the wall so they were between the outer wall and the inner wall. And that's exactly what Rahab had done. This city had become so secure because they had a water source so that they could get water. It was actually taken underground from the Jordan River to them, and they had fresh water. And because of that, even if someone surrounded them, they could, they could last for months and even years because they had big food storage places as well that they had built into the walls. Heavily fortified, very secure. But even by ancient standards, this people, these people were evil. They had no regard for human life. They regularly killed just as a, as a whim. Long before the Romans would take people to the Colosseum, the Canaanites and the Amorites, the people that were involved with this, would sometimes just choose a teenage boy and send him out into a field and they would shoot arrows until he was dead. Just at random. They, they had idol worship that was the, the worst kind of idols. Uh, they, they had uh, incest. There was sexual abuse of women. They had idol worship where they would even sacrifice children and, and Moloch and other gods. And one of the statues, they would heat up until it was red hot, and they would take a newborn baby and would put it in the arms of this red hot statue until it sizzled and burned to death in the arms of their idol. These people were horrible people. And God knew that. And the article that I read said, how in the world did they know they were offensive to God? Well, Abraham was nomadic. Abraham, uh, years before Joshua and them came into the land, Abraham was a nomad, and he had all of these, these flocks, and they, they went all over the area. In fact, if you look and see where Lot was, you see that it was very close to Jericho, and you know that Abraham went and visited Lot from time to time. So they would have heard what was going on. In fact, God foretold what was going to happen. In Genesis 15, 16, look at what it says. In the fourth generation, he's speaking to, to Abraham, in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. God displayed great grace because he told Abraham four full generations. In fact, it was more than what we would consider a 40-year generation. It was 400 years plus. For 400 and to 450 years, God waited before he allowed any judgment to come on these people because Abraham had gone throughout this region, I believe, telling them about a God who was different, a God who didn't offer sacrifices uh, of children, a God who didn't take children randomly and kill them just for sport, a God who didn't have idols that he insisted that they bring gold and silver to, to pay for, a God who didn't, who didn't downgrade the, the status of women and, and do all these horrible things. He told them about this God, and for 450 years they'd heard the message and they ignored it. 
Remember the story of Abraham coming, uh, the Lord coming to Abraham. Lot, his nephew, has gone to Sodom and Gomorrah, and Sodom and Gomorrah are so evil at that time, God says, I can't stand it. Sodom and Gomorrah are going to be destroyed. And he says this to Abraham, and Abraham says, but my, my nephew, Lot, is in the city, and he begins to bargain with God. You remember, for 100 people, would you, would you spare the cities? For 50, you know, excuse me, Lord, but for 50, 40, 30, finally gets down, for 10 people, Lord, would you spare Sodom and Gomorrah for 10 people? And what does the Lord say? Absolutely, I would, for, ten, for the sake of 10 people. The truth is, from Sodom and Gomorrah, there was, there was Lot and his two daughters and his wife who left the city. The wife turned and was turned into a pillar of salt. I don't know exactly what that means, although I know that she was dead. And she turned and she looked at the city and God vaporized her into salt or or whatever. And let's put it this way. If tomorrow you woke up and you found that Palisadro and Lake Shasta had been vaporized, would you think that maybe there's something that you needed to check on in your life? And these people were there and they saw what happened to these two cities and they ignored it. Let me go a step further. You know the story of Joshua. What did he do when he went to Jericho? The Lord says to get all the people up in the morning and walk around the city, and at the end, and, but don't say anything, don't sound any trumpets, just walk around the city. And they did that for six days. Why did God do that for six days? Did they have opportunity to surrender? Did they have an opportunity to ask for grace? Did they ask, have an opportunity to change their ways? Absolutely. Time after time after time, God has shown grace. Folks, let me bring that to today for just a second. I ran across this article. I'm praying that it's not true. Unfortunately, everything that I found says it is. I found it on crosswalk.com. It's from Baptist Press staff, and this is what it says. Chinese pharmaceutical companies are grinding up dead babies into stamina-enhancing pills for men, according to a South Korean television network. A documentary team from SBS TV, formerly known as Seoul Broadcasting Station, reported on a gruesome practice according to the International Business Times, an online business newspaper published in 10 languages. Hospitals and abortion clinics in China cooperated in the trade. Did you get that? Hospitals and abortion clinics in China have cooperated in the trade. And they were contacted and they did not deny it. The deaths normally are by stillbirth or abortion. The companies reportedly buy the corpses, store them secretly in refrigerators, dry them in medical drying microwaves, and grind them into powder. The powder is placed in capsules for for sale as stamina boosters, as reported. If God has been patient with the Amorites and the Canaanites, we better start praying. Because God has been gracious to us. He's been patient with us. You know what bothered me more? There were all kinds, there were 300 plus comments on this. I went to several news sources and checked on it. No one is refuting it up to this point. I pray that it's not true. I pray that it's a hoax. I pray that it's not true. You know what bothers me even more? The fact that the babies are there because they're being aborted by the millions in the U.S. and the China and around the world. Whether they're ground up or not, we have done the same thing. We've offered our children in the arms of an idol. God displays extreme grace. Number two, God offers extreme options. He offered them some extreme options. The options were clear. He told the people, God warned the people, move, submit, or be eliminated. 
move out of the cities. This is called the promised land because God promised it to Israel. And he told them from the time that Abraham was here, was there, that there would be a nation coming back, that they would take possession of the land, and they could either move, they could get out, they could leave the cities, they could submit to Israel, and they could be a part of the society, although it would be at a lower level, or they would be eliminated. God gave them three extreme options. Why was God so extreme? I mean, I keep hearing the words of Rodney King echoing in my mind. Why can't we all get along together? I think there are a couple of reasons why God had to be so extreme. Number one, it was, the time was foundational for Israel. God was starting a new nation. God was starting with a new people. They'd come out of Egypt. They'd had all kinds of foreign gods that they'd seen. Egypt had 10 huge uh, deities that they worshipped, Ra, the sun god, and then there were nine others that went along with that. Everything from fertility and crops and, and animals. They, they worshipped all of these gods in Egypt. God wanted a clean start. You guys know clean start, don't you? How many of you are parents? You, you've been a parent at some time in your life. Raise your hand, okay? You remember the first child that you had? You remember what you did? You sterilized everything. You sterilized stuff till it was ridiculous. I've known some, some young mothers who have gone and bought that hand sterilizer and wiped it all over cribs and blankets and everything else they can think of. When your baby, your first baby, drops that pacifier the first time, you remember what you do? You go get that and you boil it. You, you hang it up so that it doesn't touch any dish towel. I mean, you're so careful about it. By the time the third child comes around, when the baby drops the, st- the pacifier and the dog picks it up, <laughs> you get it and you wipe it on your jeans and you plug it back in, right? <laughs> Is that not true? I mean, from the first foundational issues when you're trying to establish a household and you're starting from scratch there are all these things that you want to do but especially when you're starting a people that you're trying to draw to yourself God said I need to start with a clean slate the time was foundational the other reason I believe that God offered extreme options is that that through Israel God would offer grace to all people in verse 10 this woman knew she said we have heard what God is doing we know that this God is God. We know that there's this, there's, all these things are happening. They knew what God was doing, and God was graphic about what was going to happen. In Leviticus 18.25, this is a startling verse. Even the land was defiled, talking about Canaan, talking about what was happening with the Canaanites and the Amorites. Even the land was defiled, so I punished it for its sin, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. Leviticus 18.25. You say, how can a land be contaminated? I just read this week that NASA is done with the space, uh, the space shuttle. But from early times when they were still doing Gemini, there was a, a portion of Cape Canaveral and, and the, the, the space coast that they have now set aside $2 billion because they were using corrosive chemicals to wash the engines with when they came back or when they were getting them ready to take off so that there would be nothing on them, and it was getting into the groundwater, and so now the ground itself is contaminated. There's eight square miles there that you can't even get close to because it's all fenced off. The ground was contaminated. You say, well, that was with a chemical. Well, this was something even worse than that. It was practices that had gone on for 400 years. The Lord says it's time to do something drastic. So he gave them the options. You could move, submit, or be eliminated. But Rahab didn't like those three options. So the option four that she asked for was the grace option. She said, life for a life, 
A favor for a favor, and literally the Hebrew word there, there where she says, treat, kindly, treat me kindly as I have treated you kindly. In other places, that word is, is translated grace. Treat me with grace as I have shown you grace. She committed treason. She went against her nation. She went against that city, and she could have been put to death if they had known what she was doing. And she did what, what these guys did not deserve. They came in. They deserved to be caught by the city because they were spies, and she showed them grace, and she asked for grace. Extreme conditions require extreme measures. Here's the second part of this, though. Go to Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6. We're not going to read the whole chapter. You know the story, I believe, I hope. If not, read Joshua 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, and you'll get it. Joshua chapter 6, verse 15. Look at what it says. On the seventh day, they've gotten up and they've walked around the city six days in a row, just once each day. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak, that's Israel, and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. Now look over at verse 22. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the prostitute's house and bring her out. Get the wording there. He didn't say go into Rahab's house. He said go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother and brothers, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. And the walls came tumbling down. Simple faith brings extraordinary results. Simple faith brings extraordinary results. If there is extreme circumstances that require extreme measures, we think there needs to be extreme faith, but it's not extreme faith, it's simple faith. She didn't say to to the spies, hey, I believe God is God, and I know what's going to happen with the Messiah, and I know all of these, and I know what's going to happen with all the sacrifices. All she knew was that there was a God in heaven, and she was submitting to that God. It's very simple faith. And did you notice that when the men came to her, they didn't say, Rahab, if you believe in God, and if you'll do away with this lifestyle, and if you'll clean up your act, and if you'll not do these things anymore, then God's going to save you. What did the men say? They went and saved her. I think there's three things that we learn from this. Number one, do I believe I need to be rescued? Do I really believe that I need to be rescued? Let's, let's make it real again. If two to three million people showed up and surrounded Reading, if two to three million people crossed the Sacramento River in flood stage, in the spring, when it's, man, it's as high as it can get, and they cross the Sacramento at flood stage, and the water was dammed up on either side, and they walked across on dry ground, and they walked across the Sacramento, and they surrounded Redding, would you think at that point that we were in trouble? These people, it says their heart melted in fear. They didn't come across a bridge. They, God stopped the water. They walked across the Jordan River. Joshua 5.1 says this, 
Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until we had crossed over, their hearts melted and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. You know what I think is amazing? Their hearts melted, but none of them asked for, uh, for grace. None of them said, will you surrender? None of them said, give us mercy. They all prepared for battle. Isn't that insane? Isn't that crazy? I mean, if you see an army like this, two to three million people, and you know what they've done, and you see God is helping them in miraculous ways, why would you go out and battle against someone like that? And then a man by the name of John Mason said, the world makes room for a person who is a person of purpose. Their words and actions demonstrate that they know where they're going and in your heart is a sleeping lion called purpose. Be on a mission. Strong convictions precede great actions. That's true only if your purpose is God's purpose. When John Mason wrote that, he didn't understand what God's purpose was. And he says, well, if you have a great purpose, it doesn't matter what the purpose is. That's not true. These people had a great purpose, but it was the wrong purpose. They needed to be rescued. If we don't know we need rescue, we're in trouble. James Dobson tells a, a true story about his son Ryan. Ryan is now a youth pastor and a youth speaker, and he's, a, he's an adult. But when he was just a little boy, a friend came to visit them. with had a huge 4 by 4 pickup. It was way up off the ground, and Ryan wanted to get in the back of the pickup. And his dad knew Ryan and knew he would climb over the back of the tailgate and likely fall out of it. So he let him in for a minute, and he got him down and says, Now, Ryan, do not get in the back of the pickup again. Well, they were outside of town. James Dobson turned his back for a minute. And guess where Ryan Dobson ended up? In the back bed of the, t- of the pickup. And James Dobson says, I, I stood there for a minute and I let him do it. And I just, he's, he said, I wondered, I wonder what he's going to do when it's time to get down. In a few minutes, he saw this little toddler. He had swung himself over the, the edge of the, the side of the truck and he realized that wasn't going to work, so he went back to the pickup, and he tried to get his feet on the, on the bumper, but his feet slipped off, so he was holding the top of the tailgate, and his feet were dangling, and they weren't touching the ground. And he didn't have the strength to get up, and he was afraid to let go. And James Dobson says, I just watched him for a minute, and I suddenly started to hear him say, Somebody? 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 Somebody help the boy! Somebody help the boy. At least Ryan Dobson knew he needed to be rescued. The truth is many of us have been dangling off the side of a cliff for so long, and we don't know that we need to be rescued. Number two, do I believe God will keep his words? If we need simple faith, we need to know, we need to believe that we need to be rescued. Do we believe God will keep his word? A Canaanite prostitute, according to the Mosaic law, should have been stoned to death. When she was rescued by these people, if they'd wanted to, they could have brought her into the Israeli camp and then they could have killed her, but they didn't because they had told her, your, your life is sacred, it's safe. She was, she'd committed treason, given aid to the enemy. She trusted the word of two spies, two men she'd never met before because she knew something about God. Do I believe God will keep his word? I think it's interesting. They told her two things. Put this scarlet cord out the window and don't go out of the house. Have you ever considered the parallel to what the Lord told the Israelites on the night of the Passover? In uh, Exodus 12, 22, look at what the instructions were. It says, take a branch, a, a bunch of hyssop, 
a flowering plant and dip it into the blood in the basin, there's the lamb's blood, and put some of the blood on the top of the doorpost and on both sides of the doorframe. Not one of you shall go out the door of his house until morning. What did they tell her? Anyone who goes out the door, they're, you know, we're not responsible for. And the Lord said the same thing to the Israelites. He said, trust me, trust my word. Marked in red, don't leave the premises. God's promise to us is that the blood shed on the cross will still rescue us by grace. Do you trust that word? And here's the last one. Do I believe God has a better plan? Do I believe that God has a better plan? Rahab's story is an amazing story. It's a great illustration of grace. She was not just allowed to live. Rahab did more than live. She became a part of Israel's society. Mark this down, you can read it later. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, there's the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And in that genealogy, we find that there was a man named Salmon who fell in love with her and married her. And Rahab and Salmon had a son named Boaz who fell in love with a, a Moabite widow named Ruth. By the way, Lot, who was saved from Sodom and Gomorrah, committed incest with his two daughters, and they had children, and the, the product of that children were the Moabites, who were to be a thorn in Israel's side for many, many years because of the incest that Lot had with his children, his, his two daughters. And there was a Moabite woman by the name of Ruth, and Boaz and Ruth are the great-grandparents of a man named David. Isaiah 55, 9 says it this way. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways, God says, higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Rahab was just called a prostitute, going to the prostitute's home. There was a label on her. She was known as a a prostitute. She was known as a woman. And and believe me, even in Canaanite society, no woman wants to be a prostitute. No woman wants to have that kind of a label. And God says, I'm going to take the label off, and I'm going to give you another label. It's going to be a label of forgiven. I'm going to give you a label of of receiving grace. I'm going to give you a label of rescued. I'm going to give you another label to put on. God is the one who cleaned her up, restored her, redeemed her. God looks beyond our labels. Rahab's label was not a problem for God. And whatever your label is, is no problem for him as well. There's a story on, uh, there's, a, there's a show on HGTV called Cash and Kari. This woman goes and she puts on garage sales. And from time to time she finds all of these hidden treasures. She goes in people's attics and she finds clocks that are worth hundreds and thousands of dollars and watches and pins and all kinds of stuff that I would have thrown away. And she finds out it's worth hundreds of, or thousands of dollars. And I don't ever watch the show much, but I was flipping through and saw it, and I saw it, and they said, what is the trick? How do you know this stuff is worth so much? And she said, the trick is to look beyond what others see to see what's really there. And the Lord looks down and he sees. The truth is there was a label of, of a kid who was one of six children, kind of overlooked because you got six kids, you know, you just don't have enough time, and I was the fourth out of six, and I had a label of kind of angry, frustrated, because I didn't like school too much, because I read and, and was ahead of the others, and so I spent a lot of time away from the other students, and I was kind of an outcast, and I had a label of 
troubled or hard to get along with or preacher's kid. God ripped the label off and said, rescued. And there was a label of a young man who tragically lost his leg, and God put another label, redeemed, rescued, and restored, and God used Vaughn. And the truth is, I could go to each one of you, and I could say the label maybe that I've learned, or maybe it's a label that you've hidden well, you don't want people to see, and God says, I want to rip that label off. And I don't want you to be defined anymore by that label. I want you to be defined by who you are in me. I always use a closing illustration. And here's the closing illustration. You are. Let's pray. Father, thank you for rescuing us. When we didn't even realize what we needed, you came to us. Just as desperate as Rahab, just not realizing it. Just as needy because we were just as far from grace as she was. And you came and you forgave and you cleansed, and you brought us back. Not because of something we did, not because of how good we were, not because of some trick, but just because we were willing to accept you, to believe, to come into your family. And God, you didn't just give us a portion, you gave us everything. You didn't just give us access into the throne room, you made us one of the sons, the daughters of your family. Father, you didn't just give us worship, you gave us intimacy and love and strength, as we learned in the Indeed this week as we were reading. Father, what an awesome God you are. What an incredible God you are to love us that much. Lord, my my life was in chains. I was bound. And now I'm free because you rescued me, Father. Thank you for that. So change me from the inside out. Father, if there's anyone here today that needs you, that's never come into this relationship with you, may they come today. And for those of us, Father, that have been stumbling along, thinking that we deserved grace, help us to understand again that you tore the labels away. We're only, because, we're only who we are because of who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.